Good afternoon. <clears throat> I'm Hussein Hakani from uh, Hudson. Uh, I run the South Asia and Central Asia uh, program here. Uh, this is one of the several events that we have had. One of the several events that we have organized in recent months uh, to introduce new books and new ideas uh, about South Asia, uh, uh, including uh, issues that transcend countries in the region. Um, terrorism, of course, is one of those uh, uh, questions that uh, bedevils relations between states in South Asia, especially relations of India with Pakistan, Pakistan with Afghanistan. Um, and no group has attracted more attention uh, than lashkar e uh, a group that uh, uh, has been written about at length in recent times, uh, but not uh, is still not as well known as some of the other groups uh, that are considered uh, terrorist groups with international reach. Uh, only last week, uh, now officially, of course, lashkar e is banned in Pakistan, uh, and its uh, uh, front right now is the jamaat ud dawa uh, the party for the call to righteousness. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, when I was in Pakistan, uh, I was given a pamphlet outside a mosque once, uh, which had three flags on it. The flags of the United States, Israel, and India, uh, all on fire. And a sword hanging over them, which was described as the sword of Islam. This was a pamphlet from something called the Markazud Dawa Wal Irshad, which literally means the center for the call to righteousness. Um, now, most people do not understand the connections between the Markazud Dawa, the Jamaatud Dawa, and Lashkar e Taiba. And to explain all of these, our guest today, Arif Jamal, who is a who has contributed in the past to the New York Times and is a journalist with at least 30 years in the field in Pakistan, maybe a little more? A little less. <laughs> okay, just a little less than 30 years. Um, he has covered the jihad in Kashmir, uh, or, the, uh, or the militancy in Kashmir, which started around 1989, and so he was there from the beginning uh, of that coverage, or just around that time, and has published several hundred investigative articles focusing on Islamist politics in Pakistan, the militancy in Kashmir, uh, on the Pakistani military, uh, on madrasas, and on the wars that have uh, taken place in Afghanistan. Uh, he uh, has also been a fellow uh, of the World Press Institute at McAllister College and University College London, as well as at Harvard and uh, he has also been at the universe, New York University Center on International Cooperation. His new book is called Call for Transnational <coughs> Jihad. Uh, it is a little pricey at the moment in its hardcover edition. Yes, but not here. <laughs> but it's available for a discount at the back. I would advise people to try and take advantage of the discount. And the book basically discusses the origins of Lashkar-e-Taiba in 1985, and its evolution until uh, early this year. It's important to understand that Tashkar e Teba, of course, uh, there's another good book on it by, uh, I think, Steve Frankel uh, called Storming the World Stage, but that deals with Lashkar e Teba, uh, which is most well known for its involvement in the um, attack in Mumbai, uh, in India, uh, and on other attacks in India uh, <coughs> and in, um, in Kashmir. What Arif's book is most significant uh, uh, in relation to is that he makes the argument that Lashkar-e-Taiba is a group involved in transnational jihad. It is not, as many people in my home country, Pakistan, have argued, just a group that is a group of uh, freedom fighters uh, who are local and specific in terms of targeting uh, Indian occupant, uh, occupiers, as they see them, in <coughs> Jammu and Kashmir. Um, 
which basically uh, endorses actually what uh, my own experience from that little pamphlet is, because after all, the pamphlet did talk about liberating the entire Muslim world from foreign occupation, and then its description of the Muslim world was very, shall we say, um, uh, maximalist. It said any territory that has ever been under Muslim rule um, or where Muslims constitute a majority uh, uh, forms part of the Muslim world. Um, and so while describing in detail those territories, it described even uh, modern-day Spain, uh, a, 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 of course, harking back to uh, uh, the Muslim caliphate in Andalusia. So there couldn't be a better time to have this discussion than today, by <coughs> the way, when only a day earlier, um, the uh, group, terrorist group calling itself the Islamic State for Iraq and the Levant, uh, also known as ISIS, has proclaimed itself as the center of the new Islamic caliphate. And uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi has declared himself the caliph uh, of Islam. So I think that, Arif, uh, we expect you to put in context both the origins, uh, the ideological roots of Lashkar-e Taiba, Jamaat al-Dawa and Markaz al-Dawa wal first try and explain what the connection, interconnections of all of them are. One is the parent organization. Uh, one is the militant organization and other is the front organization that has been created since the formal banning of the militant organization. Uh, very frankly, uh, for operational purposes, they do transcend each other. So I'm not going to talk too much now, uh, and I give you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Arif Jamal, author of Call for Transnational Jihad, Lashkar-e Taiba, 1985 to 2014. Let's hear it from you. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, Ambassador Hakani, for the excellent introduction to me, uh, for me and the book, both. Um, uh, to start, uh, let me make uh, a couple of uh, explanations. The group itself is not Lashkar Taiba. The group is Jamaatu Dawa. The uh, the original group was, uh, as uh, uh, Ambassador Hakani was uh, talking, Marquez Dawat Wal Irshad, which was renamed in December 2001 uh, as uh, Jamaat Dawa. <clears throat> Lashkar is just one of uh, uh, over a dozen departments of Jamaat Dawa. And the Mandate of Lashkar Taiba is uh, restricted to jihad in Kashmir, the Indian Kashmir. Uh, there are several other departments unknown uh, which are involved in jihad uh, elsewhere. Uh, originally, when Marquez Dawat Wal Irshad was created, uh, they also created before Lashkar Taiba. Uh, Department of International Jihad, which was uh, headed by Mahmoud Bahazik, who was one of the uh, original founders of uh, uh, Marquez Dawat Wal Irshad, uh, or MDI. Then there were many other departments, when I uh, speak about them, who are involved uh, uh, in jihad elsewhere in the world. So, but since uh, Lashkar Taiba is more, uh, uh, people are familiar with Lashkar Taiba more, that is why uh, I named, uh, uh, I, I gave the title Lashkar Taiba, otherwise it should have been Jamaat Dawa. So this is uh, the uh, introduct introduction to the name. Now, I have uh, uh, dealt with two main themes in this book. Uh, Lashkar Taiba is a huge jihadi machine. Um, its uh, numerical strength is between 300,000 and half a million. And I will explain to you how I calculated later. And it's a very, very uh, interesting jihadi organization. It's uh, a lot more interesting than any other jihadi organization uh, we know of. 
Lashkar uh, Jamaat Markaz Dawat Wal Irshad was founded in August. Uh, nobody has the exact date. In Lahore in August 1987. I have traced the history how uh, the uh, Pakistani jihadis were involved in jihad before and how they came uh, into contact with some Saudi jihadis who financed Marcus Dawat Wal Irshad as that, at that time. Now, the original founders and financiers of uh, MGI were the remnants of uh, Juhayman's uh, Ikhwan. Juhayman, usually we call them Juhayman's Ikhwan. Juhayman al-Utabi. Uh, al okay. He was uh, the rebel, Saudi rebel, who seized uh, Kaaba in uh, November 1979. And several of his uh, uh, colleagues were uh, managed to escape because they were not on the scene. Half a dozen of them came to wage jihad in Afghanistan in uh, 1982. That is the year when uh, we, we have uh, documentary proof that some of them had come to Afghanistan. And the most fascinating person among them was Mahmoud Bahazik. Between 1982 and 1987, he was contacting all the Wahhabi organizations in Pakistan to make uh, an international jihadi organization. But since the Pakistani Ahli Hadith groups were affiliated with, the, with Saudi Arabia and were funded by the Saudis, nobody was ready to uh, cooperate with them. Uh, one of the leaders of uh, Jamiyat Ahle Hadith, which is the main Ahle Hadith party in Pakistan, told me once uh, that. Please explain what the Ahle Hadith is. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Ahle Hadith Wahhabis and Salafis are normally uh, used interchangeably, but there are slight uh, differences between them. Wahhabis are the Saudi, uh, we all know, uh, the Saudi uh, sect. And uh, the similar sect in Pakistan is called uh, uh, Ahli Hadith. And when you combine their uh, ideologies, they become Salafists. Jamaatu Dawa is a Salafist uh, group, not an Ahli Hadith or Wahhabi group. And uh, Juhaman's Ikhwan, the remnants, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, I was telling you uh, uh, an anecdote. Uh, one, one of the early Hadith uh, leaders told me that uh, uh, Mahmoud Bahazak used to carry uh, a suitcase full of U.S. dollars and rials, uh, $100 bills, and he was showing to people, look, I have money, make a jihadi group, and we will conquer the world. <clears throat> Uh, it was uh, early 1987 when Mahmoud Bahazak uh, uh, came into contact with uh, uh, who is the leader of Lashkar uh, Taiba now, uh, through one of the cells, Juhayman's Ikhwan's cell in Gujranwala in central Punjab, and uh, Khalid Girjaki. He is a fascinating personality also in Pakistan. Uh, and uh, Zakir Rahman luckily agreed to cooperate with him because he was not being funded by the Saudis. He had no um, uh, interest in uh, as such uh, with, uh, with being uh, um, affiliated with, with, with Saudis. Uh, and Zakir Rahman luckily put him in contact with Hafiz Said. And then they all came together, Hafiz Said's group, Zakir Rahman Lakhvi's group, and the Pakistani uh, Juhayman's Ikhwan's cells. One of the leaders of Juhayman's Ikhwan was uh, 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 the, what's his name, uh, the, the founder, Pir Jhande Shah. Badiuddin Shah Rashidi. 
he was uh, he 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 was one of the biggest uh, Pakistani alims who were affiliated with uh, uh, Jahan Zikhwan. He was teaching in uh, in uh, in Saudi Arabia in different schools, and uh, he was uh, expelled from Saudi Arabia uh, uh, for anti-state activities in 1977. And uh, but his son was still there. And actually, his son died in uh, in the rebellion in November 1979. In the beginning, they thought they would have a missionary um, group, and at that time, uh, they they kept uh, all the groups uh, together, uh, uh, separate, and they founded uh, Marquez Dawat Wal Irshad as uh, as an NGO. The idea was they would uh, unite all the uh, Ahli Hadith uh, community in Pakistan and uh, and then uh, lead a lead jihad in Pakistan first and then uh, in the rest of the world. And then uh, I will skip uh, details because the next few years were a lot of struggle between uh, different Ali Hadith groups in Pakistan. And I have given a lot of details from primary sources in the book. Um, you will see how, how, how all these groups were, um, at, uh, were, were uniting and uh, fighting each other and then uh, the ISI was playing uh, one group to re against the other. So, when when Marcus Dawat Wal Ishad was founded, Juhayman and Zikhwan, they put all their affiliates, supporters uh, in the rest of the world with each other. So, from the very beginning, it became an international, global group. With the Marcus Dawat Ishad playing as the uh, uh, say MDI uh, central, and then in the rest of the world other groups. <coughs> uh, after uh, the biggest jihad, Marcus Dawat Wal Ishad waged was the Bosnian Jihad. Bosnian Jihad in 1992 to 94 and 6 was actually a MDI, a Lashkar Taiba Jihad, not an Al-Qaeda Jihad. Lashkar Taiba or MDI at that time created a new wing to wage Jihad in Bosnia called Muslim Forces. The Muslim forces were being were, were headed by uh, Mahmoud Bahazik himself. Mahmoud Bahazik had nothing to do with Al Qaeda or any other uh, group all his life. From Juhayman Sikhwan, he 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 came to uh, Marquez Dawat Wal Irshad, which was his own uh, creation. All the mujahideen in Bosnia. It, it's not known were working, waging jihad under Mahmoud Bahazik. Some U.S. writers have confused Mahmoud Bahazik, also known as uh, Abu Abdul Aziz, with some Al-Qaeda uh, members. And that is not true. There is no evidence for that. Mahmoud Bahazik was such a, uh, Mahmoud Bahazik looked at himself not as a general or a conqueror, but as an admiral. He was uh, actually uh, influenced uh, by Ottoman Admiral uh, Khairuddin Barbarossa. And uh, Mahmoud Bahazik himself physically fought several in several jihad. He fought in Afghanistan, he fought in 
uh, Burma, he fought in Philippines, he fought in, uh, um, uh, in Eritrea, he fought in, um, um, uh, in um, Somalia. In many countries, he fought. And uh, his aim was, his, he had two aims in life. He thought before he died, he could achieve at least those two aims before a world caliphate is founded. First was to create a, 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 a European command because some of the hadiths say that Muslims have to conquer the former Roman Empire. And when he entered Bosnia, that was the aim. And he, he, he started uh, uh, setting up cells in Italy for that. And he cooperated. His uh, deputy was uh, an Egyptian uh, Mujahid uh, Shaban who, uh, who was helping him. Uh, but uh, unfortunately for him, uh, the Dayton Accords uh, put an end to jihad in Bosnia. And the dream of uh, conquering Europe uh, came to an end. Uh, but Hafiz Said is on record having said that uh, one day we will go back and wage jihad in, uh, uh, in Europe and conquer the former Roman Empire because this is the command from Allah. The second dream Mahmoud Bahazik had was to set up an uh, uh, Arabian Sea command because he, he was very fascinated with sea. And uh, this was one reason he himself went to Philippines and fought there uh, with uh, uh, Hashem Salamat. Or the Muru Islamic Liberation, Muru Islamic Liberation Front. Um, and it was Mahmoud Bahazik who, who initiated Maldivian Jihad because it was uh, so, 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 so central to his dream of having an Arabian Sea, uh, Arabian Ocean Command. Uh, in several countries, they set up small cells, Johan Zikhwan, and uh, the Jamaatul Dawa, or before that MDI, were cooperating with uh, each other. Till today, they are making an effort to set up cells there. Last month, uh, one Pakistani Mujahid from uh, MDI was in Thailand and uh, he was trying to create a cell there. That is not in my book. <laughs> it, my, the book was written much before that. So the, uh, uh, the, uh, what I want to say is that the dream lives on. India is uh, for Jamaatudawa just a gateway to the rest of the world. And um, probably it helps them to remain in the good books of the Pakistani military. Otherwise, they would uh, go beyond that uh, sooner than wait. Unfortunately, the focus on uh, Jamaatul Dawa, Lashkar Taiba, uh, was uh, there wasn't enough focus because uh, the world thought Al-Qaeda is a bigger enemy and, um, um, and Jamaat-ud-Dawa and Lashkar-e-Taiba are basically South Asian uh, group. That is not true. Till Mumbai attacks, the world looked at Jamaat-ud-Dawa through the South Asia prism. Unfortunately, after Mumbai attacks, uh, uh, the world started looking at it through Mumbai prism. In my book, I have made an effort to stop the world from looking at Jamaat-ud-Dawa through the prism of South Asia or Mumbai. Jamaat-ud-Dawa has some uh, half a million members. Now, 
a lot of people will 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 feel startled uh, but let me explain how i calculate jamaatud uh, dawa has run six six major training camps i have been to four of them several times lived there uh, i mean i fascinated uh, to sneak into those camps um i wouldn't be able to do it now uh, i never realized at that time it was a bad uh, idea to write the book then you know n- no not really uh, you see at that time i really didn't know how dangerous it was and uh, i don't want to talk about those dangers at this time um uh, <laughs> uh actually i calculated uh, how the uh, the the number of classes those uh, camps uh, were uh, having uh, the biggest camp was um, uh, ماسکر ام القرا ماسکر ام القرا ہیز بین آن ایوریج پروڈیوسنگ ٹو ہنڈریڈ مجاہدین ایوری ویک دے از اے بیج آف ٹو ہنڈریڈ مجاہدین ایوری نیو نیو مجاہدین ہو کم دیئر اینڈ ٹو ہنڈریڈ گو دیر تھری ایکچولی کلاسز فرسٹ گریڈ سیکنڈ سوری آر ایف آئی ڈونٹ وانٹ ٹو انٹرپٹ یو بیکاز but for the sake of moving the uh, uh, the the discussion forward in a way in which the audience can fully comprehend it's important perhaps here to explain the nature of maskar umul qara it's actually something that was advertised in pakistan widely on walls and and i'm sure it was done elsewhere as well that you can have a short course so it's like a short training program you don't become a full time jihadi as a result of them but you have enough training to be able to volunteer your time for whenever you are needed for an operation <coughs> right good idea absolutely Thank absolutely Thank you. so my interruption was no 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 it was very very it on. was very timely <laughs> uh give you Ma'as- an opportunity to have a little water as well exactly maskal ummul khara is the basic uh, training camp and they you they gave only 21 day basic training as far as the salafists are concerned the idea is not to wage jihad physically but to remain prepared to wage jihad and uh, in 21 days you are you prove that you are ready to wage jihad if there is a need so um I, I've seen those classes and uh, after 21 days, some students are really good and some are really bad, but they are equally respected. The best one goes, go, go to other camps. So, uh, so I was saying that they, this single mask, which was, uh, it was, has been producing since 1993, 200... Um, mujahideen every week the the class starts uh, uh, on monday they all reach there on sunday now you can calculate how many they have uh, produced one single masker then there is uh, a huge so called secular uh, network of secular schools uh, the biggest are, are, I, i would say known uh, a network of uh, their secular schools is called adawa school system currently some 50000 students are enrolled in the, in those schools uh, the number of schools is a little more than 200 and uh, every year 5000 boys pass out of those schools they are also trained in jihadi uh, training and then there are women and there are families so if you look at these figures you can see how how, how big the organization is uh, people ask me why lashkar taiba jamaat tudaba at this time my answer is if uh, 7 to 10000 is uh, isis uh, um, uh, fighters are scaring the world 
what will happen if Lashkar Taiba is unleashed. Now, the problem is, uh, very unfortunately, the Pakistani state is collapsing. The state is uh, conceding to Mujahideen, to Jihad, to Islamism. And uh, a, a few weeks ago, uh, a US diplomat uh, called me and uh, asked me, he said, I was in Pakistan and I was told by somebody, uh, I can't name that person, he named me, that uh, if Jamaatul Dawa wants to take over Lahore, it will take uh, less than 24 hours. Do you agree with that? I said, yes, I do. But the question was, then why doesn't it do? My answer is, Pakistan is a very sectarian uh, country. And uh, there are challenges, sectarian challenges to Jamaat Dawa from Diobandis, from railways. If they try to take over, others will fight back. Now, what is happening is, in the last uh, three, four years, I have seen that the extremist uh, uh, Diobandis are becoming takfiri and coming closer to uh, Salafist ideology. This is exactly what happened in the Middle East, where the ISIS uh, was formed by attracting many uh, uh, shades of uh, opinion, uh, uh, Islamic ideology. I see in the, la in the next few years, uh, the Jamaat-ud-Dawa will be able to uh, to rally jihadist forces uh, around itself. And uh, that is when it will decide to take over the state. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see it not doing that. And uh, Jamaat-ud-Dawa has uh, physically taken part in so many countries, I can name some of them. Um, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Maldives, Iran, Turkey. Uh, these are the countries where they have very active cells, uh, both Jamaat-ud-Dawa and Jehman's Ikhwan. Uh, Thailand, Philippines, Egypt, Sudan, Eritrea, Ogaden, uh, Nigeria, all the Middle East. Two more minutes. They have a very active, very active uh, um, group in United Kingdom, hundreds uh, of members in United Kingdom. They have headquarters in France. The European uh, organization, uh, Jamaat Udawa's organization, is uh, interestingly led by Abdul Kahar, who was the first Pakistani Wahhabi who went to Afghanistan in February 1980. And he looks after the whole Europe. All of you must be familiar with Virginia Jihad uh, Network. The spiritual leader of Virginia Jihad Network, uh, Ali Al-Timimi, was introduced to lashkar e taiba through their British uh, Mujahideen in Britain, and I think it was 1994. Uh, Hafiz Said and Ali Al-Tamimi campaigned for jihad in Britain together for several weeks. I think uh, um, I will leave you, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I, I will stop here and... Uh, Good. And now, of course, uh, let's give Arif a hand on that. Um, People must have noticed, and I had to interrupt every now and then to make it more general, because mm -hmm. RF has gone too deep, uh, has drilled very, very deep into the uh, organization, the group, the methods, the ideas. Uh, and therefore, I think the book would be much more helpful, because, <coughs> because everything comes together in the book. In a conversation, it doesn't always come together. Not everybody is able to uh, sort of you know, compress thoughts and ideas. There are two or three things that I see are as coming out of your presentation as well as from your book. Number one, 
Um, <coughs> we all need to be aware of the fact that uh, after 9-11, uh, Americans became very focused on Al-Qaeda, and even more so after uh, the current president came to office because he kind of tried to consolidate. Uh, immediately after 9-11, there was a kind of an expansion of the mission. He compressed the mission even further, and he said, we're going to get bin Laden, and, and the Americans did get bin Laden. But that the understanding of the whole concept of transnational jihad and global jihad is really very thin in the United States. Most people don't understand there are multiple groups at work. Many groups have many ideological, religious, uh, philosophical uh, reasons for doing it, what they're doing, and in many, many theaters. And so while some of them may not be sufficiently funded or organized or structured, uh, you say that Jamaat uh, dawa slash lashkar e is quite funded, well-funded, and well-organized. And the only reason why they're not making a bid for power is because they would rather wait they are playing. They are willing to play the long game, uh, which which may not fully be understood uh, in this in this city, where usually a long game basically means uh, two terms uh, of, of of an elected president. Um, the second um, or or one and a half term, because the uh, the uh, one half of the term is always for for the next one, um, uh, waiting for the next one. Uh, second. Uh, you actually posit a very important issue, which is the linkage between the <coughs> theology of the jihadists and their operational strategies. So, for example, the notion that there is a hadith about uh, all of the Roman, former Roman Empire coming under Islam before the end of times, and similarly the whole Ghazwai Hind, that there has to be a great battle over India. Then there was in Iraq, if you remember, Al-Qaeda used that hadith a lot, that there will be a war over the mountain of gold, which they said meant black gold, which is oil. So therefore, uh, that will... And so, so, so the theological linkage, or the linkage of the theology with the recruitment process and the, and, and the training process is not always fully comprehended or certainly not openly publicly discussed here. And lastly, um, you seem to have indicated that there are, I mean, obviously, for example, when in Mali, uh, people took over some of the, um, some of the, uh, some towns, people were surprised. But by your account, it seems that if somebody actually did a methodical study of these groups and saw what their various nodal points were, it would be pretty easy to understand that most of them do have global ambitions, even when they claim they have local ambitions. And lastly, it comes out that the governments that tolerate or accept various groups sometimes color the judgment of the international community about them. So, for example, it serves the interests of those who want to take advantage of lashkar e in the region to just present them as regional actors so that their role in the region cannot be curtailed because of their global role and uh, exposing the global role, therefore, is uh, uh, not useful. Uh, so it's easier for them to kind of inform their American counterparts that, you know, uh, Mahmoud Bahazek was Al-Qaeda, which you've read in many, uh, many, many uh, American uh, uh, sort of uh, unclassified, uh, and I would say even in Undocumented. Former, yeah, and formerly <coughs> classified documents as well, where, so, 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 so the governments that have a, slightly higher threshold of tolerance for whatever reason, uh, usually regional and strategic, regional strategic reasons, they do not want the world to find out about the international or transnational nature of these groups. And the last thing that I take away from your conversation is the sheer size. I mean, half a million people who've gone through the 21-day program, and by the way, I remember having written about this many years ago, uh, while I was still doing a column back in Pakistan, 1996-97, there were all these, you know, like very simple graffiti in Pakistan, short training in jihad, call phone number, this, this, this. <coughs> and, you know, people used to call that number, go and do this three-week training program. That's the, uh, the, the training camp you're talking about. A half a million people who've been trained in small arms, IEDs, probably that's what it is, a little bit of, of evasion, etc., and then those who are willing to volunteer more time basically means that there is a jihadi uh, kind of a national guard or a reserve 
other than the active one. And that's a phenomenon I think many, many people in this audience must also have found a little relatively new because the assumption that has always been there is that there are hardcore jihadis. Uh, they do have some support network, but the support network is assumed to be only a financial support network or an arms purchasing s uh, network and not necessarily a reserve that can actually fill in sort of if they start making push for taking over territory. Am I correct in interpreting uh, all of your uh, ideas yeah, in absolutely, that? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and so an ISIS-like phenomenon is perfectly possible in other parts of the world absolutely. as well as Absolutely. Okay, good. Absolutely. So I think that's a good point to start off a discussion. I can see some worried faces. I can see some, you know, we knew that faces. And I can see some, ah, who cares, you know, uh, uh, we, are, we, we are in Washington, D.C., what me worry, uh, as Alfred E. Newman of Mad Magazine would have said. Um, so, Yes, Washington question. has to worry. There's a very, very active cell in the United States. Uh, I don't want to name uh, people I, think, I think you should. Uh, yeah, I should think people should, should read the book. Read the book, see, and, uh, and 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 if some of, and, and if some of them are on the wanted list, you should collect the reward for when they are eventually arrested <laughs> by the FBI. Uh, <coughs> Colonel Smith, everybody, short introduction. Uh, you know, name, affiliation, and then ask a question or make a comment. Uh, David Smith, I'm an independent consultant these days. Uh, really two questions uh, that you did not get into in, in the Pakistan context. How do, the, how do these groups, from an ideological standpoint, how do they view the current government of Pakistan, is one question. And secondly, what is the current relationship uh, between these groups and the ISI? I think we know that there's been a history between them, but what is the current relationship like right now? So Arif, you were, you were telling me that in your presentation you're not going to talk about the ISI, and I told you don't worry. Within the first two questions, there will be a question about the ISI. So you've got that question actually, already. I, I, actually, I hate to look I at... Didn't, I didn't orchestrate it, by the way. <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen David in a while. I said that because I, I, I hate to uh, look at this group through the ISI prism also, because they're far, far, far bigger. Uh, how they look, how they links with the government. You see, uh, the actually there is no difference between the ISI and Pakistan military. ISI is the Pakistani military, so uh, that's also very confusing here. Actually, the military uses uh, is, it had been using uh, Islamist groups uh, against every civilian democratically elected government in Pakistan. And these days, uh, they, uh, they, they use the jihadi groups because the Islamist groups have gone in the background and jihadi groups are in the, in the forefront of um, uh, Pakistani politics. So the military is using them against the Sharif government. Uh, you see Hafiz Said is leading uh, uh, demonstrations against UTV network and uh, uh, Sharif government. Uh, so that the jihadi groups are uh, uh, against the Sharif government. They will do anything uh, uh, for the military. But they were also against the Zardari government. So oh, yes, they were. They were they, they, they are against all. Uh, they, they, uh, very, uh, very little, uh, I have not mentioned this. This I have kept for another uh, book. Uh, Jamaatul Dawa has a had a fatwa issued to kill Benazir Bhutto, and someone did try to. Uh, 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 set out to kill her, but he was uh, recalled later. I, I, I will give details later. Uh, the uh, what was the second question? The links between uh, and what are the current the, links between yeah. the operational links between ISI? Yeah, the ISI or the Pakistani military uh, uh, patronizes patronizes all these jihadi groups. Uh, uh, fundamentally to a jihad in Kashmir and uh, India. Uh, there are elements in the military who want to wage global jihad, but, but basically they still, uh, as an institution, I think they still focus on India. So, so, so all groups, no group in Pakistan can operate without military blessings. I think, I think Arif, if I'm... Please correct me if I'm wrong in understanding you. You're suggesting that any stories or news of 
a break in the links between the Lashkar-e-Taiba or Jamaat al-Dawa and the Pakistani ISI are incorrect and premature. There were never any breaks between the military and any jihadi group. Ex the only, the Deobandi jihadis uh, uh, spun out of uh, their control and started uh, attacking uh, uh, the military. And we know all of them. Others who are operating in Pakistan, uh, they, 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 they enjoy full support from the military, and particularly Jamaat Dawa and all its affiliates. Okay, now Arif, I'll have to ask a question here. Is that support because the military needs the jihadis, or is it because now the military has reached the point where it fears that a monster has been created and therefore it needs to be managed rather than be left on its own? Uh, I think the military needs jihadis and jihadis and vice versa. Uh, it, we have, they have not come to a point where they can uh, function, operate, uh, do whatever they want independently. I think uh, they still need each other. Uh, I think that's good. Yeah. Next question. Yes, Mr. Fratkin, right at the back. We'll come to you in a second. Uh, hello, Fratkin of the Hudson Institute. Thank you very, very much. It really was an extremely interesting, it's an extremely interesting subject and an extremely interesting presentation. I can't hear you. An extremely interesting subject and an extremely interesting presentation. So thank you. Uh, my question has to do with uh, Juhayman Otaibi and his role, his influence on this story. Uh, Juhayman had rather strange views, uh, some of which derived from yet another strange figure, Albani. And I was wondering, apart from the fact that people from his group ma managed to reach Pakistan, whether these views actually have some real effect on the way in which Lashkari Taiba developed. I'm not sure if I... Short of uh, his belief that Mahdi had come, uh, survives in uh, survives in yeah in intact uh, in in many parts of the world, because uh, before uh, uh, before the Meccan uh, rebellion, uh, they had uh, won over support from a lot of people all over the world, because they were based in Mecca and Kaaba. They were preaching in Kaaba and winning over people in Kaaba, where every Muslim from all over the world come. And uh, the Kaaba is the grand mosque in Mecca, for those who do not know. The holiest uh, mosque. Shrine of Islam, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, the ideology of, uh, uh, ideology of uh, Jamaat al-Dawa is very, very similar, close to uh, Juhayman's ideology in many, many, uh, in, in, in a lot of senses. And Sheikh Albani's influence on Juhayman Sh also? Uh, yes, Sheikh Albani is one of the most revered uh, uh, sheikhs uh, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, Fajamatu Dawa leaders. And his writings have been republished in Urdu oh, by yes, them oh, yes. extensively. Um, Not I'd only in Urdu share and in Pakistan. You. Not only in Urdu and Pakistan, but also uh, in other uh, parts of the world, yes. where Jamaat Dawa and Juhayman Zikwan Various are. languages. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. Right in the middle, the lady. Short introduction, please. Hi, my name is Melissa Crawford, and I'm a Wrangell Fellow working on South and Central Asia with the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Okay. And my question is, uh, based off of your research, especially your experience in the training camps. Can you speak a little louder? Oh. Based off of your research and your experience in the training camps, what do you believe um, are reasons for youth joining the jihadist organizations versus the Pakistani military? Are there recruitment issues there? Would you say it's a class issue? They're becoming more religious? Anything that you might add to that? Thank uh. you. I think uh, there are multiple reasons uh, for people uh, who want to jo join jihad. Uh, um, 
I don't know if I can give a short answer to that. Try. Uh, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, think, I'll help. Uh, I think the the biggest uh, uh, reason is that uh, uh, jihad or uh, these parties give uh, give a sense of importance to those who join uh, these groups. Uh, uh, all these groups uh, put a lot of stress on the word izzat, honor. And uh, these are the people, although they come from secular backgrounds, uh, they, they, they feel they are not needed in this society. Uh, jihadi groups give them uh, importance and uh, tell them they, they are needed in this society. Allah needs them. Maybe you have something and, and to there's, add. And, there's, and then there's the question of the faith's honor, the, the honor of Muslims as a whole in a global order in which uh, the West dominates, other nations dominate. I mean, part of it is this whole business about the targeting of India, Israel, America, this whole concept is essentially these are the power, they, they are more powerful than us and therefore the Muslims will redeem their honor Absolutely. Uh, primarily as, as a collective mm. entity by confronting them And at an individual level, the individual Muslim will gain honor by doing jihad. And lastly, there is the ideological dimension that this is how it started out in Arabia in the 7th century. And so this is how it will restart in the 21st century. Absolutely. I fully agree with you. Let me add one See, more I, thing. So I haven't attended the camps, thank God. <laughs> um, uh, but I have read the literature. Yeah, I, I know you have. Uh, let me add one more thing. Uh, in Pakistan, secular political terminology, there are words like honor, izzat, hamiyat. And Imran Khan... Dignity, yeah. Imran, uh, and these dignity, honor. The, the Imran Khan uses these words a lot. Imran Khan being the cricketer turned, turned politician. He's the number two, I think. Uh, he, he needs no introduction if you follow Pakistan, South Asia. Uh, The, the, these terms uh, and expressions were invented by Hafiz Said in early 90s. As and recruitment tools and mobilization tools. And now Imran Khan is uh, uh, using those terms uh, to recruit his people. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, uh, right at the back again. Yes. And then we'll come forward. Uh, hello. Uh, I'm Faisal from Iraq, a writer. Uh, I would like, uh, author Sam Harris said that the problem with Islamic fundamentalis fundamentalism are the fundamentals of Islam. Do you think that the United States, should I repeat? No, 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 I understand. Uh, should the United States support uh, secular liberal forces in Pakistan to get religion out of government, in your opinion? Yeah, America ko Pakistan ko secular I had to answer to that. Hmm? Uh, you have an answer or you're thinking about it? Um, Shall we take another question while you reflect on this? Yeah. Okay. He has to be very careful in how he answers this one, I think. Yep, right here. Aaron Manis, University of Maryland. There's uh, been a lot of research about the Arab jihadis and how they use the internet, social media, etc. I haven't seen nearly as, or all, really any substantial material on how Lashkar-e-Taiba, Jamaat Udawa, uses the internet, uses Twitter, uses social media. Although I did start following uh, Hafiz Mohammed Saeed, that should be interesting. I'd be curious to hear about what they've done and how they do it. Uh, Hafiz Said's party, Jamaat Dawa, is very, very technology-savvy, internet-savvy, and they are all over the internet. Uh, they are on Twitter with different ideas on Facebook. All their uh, wings have uh, different pages on Facebook, on Twitter, uh, and other social media. Uh, the the, the uh, Jamaat Dawa is not... Uh, an organization of riffraff, uh, abandoned people. They, they, they have a 
have uh, doctors, they have engineers, they have... Uh, Hafiz Saeed uh, is himself an engineer. No, he's not. Uh, I mean, he taught uh, he, at, he's an Sharia expert yeah. taught at the engineering. He, he studied in a secular uh, university, Punjab University. He studied uh, Arabic there. Uh, and taught at the engineering And university. taught. He taught at the engineering university. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, yeah. I, I know you can't make that mistake actually. Uh, and uh, the other other leaders are very uh, come from uh, very settled families. Other leaders like uh, Zafar Iqbal was a teacher. He holds a, an, a master's degree. And Jamaat um, Dawa is present in almost every department of a government department in Pakistan. You go to any department in any big city, and they are there. They are at the airport, they are at the customs, they are at the, uh, uh, in the police, they are in the army, they are everywhere. And, and they know, uh, they have, uh, they are very, very educated people among them. And if, you, and if you just follow all those people who are critical of Pakistani jihadi organizations on Twitter, you will immediately be able to find the jamaat dawa trolls. Um, I have so far uh, blocked 7,000. Uh, so that just shows you. Uh, and that's the blocked ones. Mm. Uh, right behind uh, him, yeah. Uh, thank you. This is Lalit Jha from PTI, not in Imran Khan's PTI, but Press Trust of India. Uh, following up your earlier remarks that you had said that there is no disconnect between the ISI, Pak military, and the militancy as of now. So how d what's your take on the current operation that the Pak military is taking in North Wajiristan? Just Is it just a show-off kind of thing? What do you say? And, and secondly, in your book, you have mentioned about that lashkar e is trying to acquire weapons of mass destruction. Can you throw up some more insight into it? What is the second part? Uh, in your Weapons book, of you mass destruction. Elite okay. trying okay. to acquire. First, Waziristan operation has nothing to do with jamaat dawa It's uh, basically against bad Taliban there. And uh, one of the reasons is, I think, the Chinese uh, uh, pressure on Pakistan to do something uh, about uh, Mus Chinese Muslim fundamentalists who are operating out of Pakistan. Uh, the, bad, the good Taliban are, remain unharmed. About weapons of mass destruction, um, uh, well, uh, Hafiz said in the beginning, believed that Pakistan should, should produce uh, nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction and uh, distribute them among other uh, Muslim countries. But they have uh, recently, uh, uh, in the last few months, they have changed their position. And now uh, Jamaat Dawa say that Pakistan should produce nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction, but do not share with other countries. Actually, Pakistan should provide a security umbrella to all Muslim countries. The idea is to have a to unite the Muslim world under Pakistan, which is a nuclear power. Uh, actually, uh, this started uh, much before uh, MDI was formed in 1987. Uh, Hafiz Said uh, and Zafar Iqbal created, when they became teachers in uh, Engineering University Lahore, they created uh, uh, a student's organization called uh, Rising Salafia Students Organization. This organization was uh, uh, actually a, an organization of engineers and uh, uh, scientists, and uh, it, 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 it had several dozens of uh, members. And now the, the, they have hundreds of engineers uh, in this wing. And many of them have penetrated the nuclear establishment of Pakistan. Uh, the, uh, the head of this uh, wing is, a f is an engineer uh, who was working in the Pakistan Atomic uh, Commission who, uh, who was um, dismissed under American pressure in, in 2002. I think it was uh, January, February 2002. Uh, he was dismissed uh, because Americans came to know of his links uh, with the 
mujahideen okay a few more questions right here at the front then on the after that to the left there uh thank you very much good to see you mr ambassador and uh, mr jamal raghveer goel from india globe in asia today my question is that if these cells and uh, these jihadis are operating out of pakistan still what is the future of pakistan and also how much you think india should worry worry about from these groups and mr ambassador with your permission if i may ask you one question sir please no, no the questions today are for mr jamal but go ahead as far as these you, you are more than welcome to as ask as far as ji, these jihadis are concerned how much uh, india should worry and what is the future of india pakistan relations under the new government of mr modi thank you sir i am not going to talk about modi at this time but uh, um, actually i am worrying about india the reason is that india knows so little about this this uh, this problem and they have no strategy what would happen what they can do uh, when islamism when a caliphate for example is uh, established in pakistan for example w- w- india has no strategy to uh, uh, for the time if a taliban regime uh, or a salafist regime is established in pakistan uh, india has uh, like the rest of the world uh, should worry but also do something uh i think uh, the whole world has to do unitedly uh, in- india can't do anything uh, about this problem but arif i mean uh, why why just uh, single out the Amer- uh, the indians are american friends also uh, sort of you know as long as there are serving and retired officers who are willing to have a glass of wine with them they think that pakistan is going to be fine so uh, so why 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 worry about the potential you, you are right absolutely you 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 are right but 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 the but the serving a retired general who come uh, uh, comes here uh, drinks wine with american friends uh, uh, when he goes back he start he, he patronizes these jihadis uh, because uh, uh, i i believe that every pakistani military officer is a is either a nationalist jihadist or uh, an islamist jihadist okay yeah. we'll have to invite you again to have a whole discussion about islamist jihadis versus nationalist jihadis and explain that to an audience that does not always understand all these complications we have time for two more questions one right at the <laughs> back and then here the gentleman with the glasses with his hand raised yes thank you yes right behind you sabir yeah yeah Uh, thank you for that presentation mr jamal uh, i am a pakistani student studying here in the united states my name is aman khan and my question is uh, you stated that uh, the military currently uses these militant organizations or has been using these militant organizations against the civilian government uh, what do you think in such a situation given the crumbling security setup would be the best mode of operation for the civilian government in your opinion thank you sorry last one what would be the best way of dealing with this situation for the civilian government for the civilian government i think uh, the civilians are hostage to military and uh, they don't have any room to uh, don't room to operate against these uh, militants if they really go against uh, these militants i think they will be dismissed and civilians understand that as someone who's not been dismissed uh, uh, because of the military uh, on the civilian side let me say that there may be a little more nuance to that answer possible uh somebody at the right at the back the gentleman right at the back okay thank you my name is hitesham and i'm a fulbright scholar here and uh, uh, unlike most of the people who are sitting here i'm going back and live going to live in the same society which you are talking about i'm in fact alarmed to hear that uh, such a menace exists in pakistan and it can and would that's what you said take over pakistan one day so uh, is there any realization is there any hope and what can be done to to stem this danger what can be done um i think the first thing is to is really to understand the the problem and then uh, uh, no single country not 
India, America, or any European country or uh, Pakistani government can act uh, alone. I think it has to be a concerted effort, uh, an international effort, uh, to stop Pakistan from using jihad as an instrument of its defense policy, not uh, Pakistan, but Pakistan army. Um, uh, uh, I don't know in practice if that is possible. Uh, in practice, uh, I, d I, 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 I see uh, the world is not acting enough. Uh, uh, it's not doing enough. Uh, the world needs to do more. But Arif, uh, this, you're reversing the do more and saying the world needs to do more for Pakistan, but I think the question is a valid question from a Pakistani who's concerned about the future of his country, our country. Um, and 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 so I think that that needs a lot more deliberation and a lot more uh, sort of thought as to what can happen from within Pakistan as well as what can the rest of the world do to support those forces within Pakistan that may actually stand up to these nihilistic. You see, as, as Pakistani individuals or uh, people of uh, Pakistani origin, all we can do is to. To, to support the democratic forces in that country. And uh, we, we, we should stop uh, 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 expecting uh, uh, the governments to, to create a utopia in, in, in the country. Uh, we should let the, the civilian democratically elected governments to, to, uh, to, to run the uh, government. And, and not get impatient immediately. We should stop funding fundamentalist. Uh, Pakistanis can, uh, sh sh should stop voting, financing madrasas uh, and uh, jihadi parties uh, of all hues, of all colors. Um, but actually, uh, I'm really honestly, uh, uh, I don't see uh, this happening. Uh, uh, you mean a liberal or a non-fundamentalist future for Pakistan? No, don't I, don't, I, don't, okay. I don't. Now, that is a very pessimistic conclusion. I wanted it to be a more optimistic conclusion since, you know, I live in the United States and in this country people like happy endings. But we could make, the, we could, we could make this a, a good afternoon anyway uh, when Arif sits at the back and signs the books for you all so that at least you can read about the causes of his pessimism and the origins of his pessimism and the explanation for why he's reached the conclusions that he has reached. Thank you very much, Arif Jamal. The book is, <laughs> is available at the back. Uh, and of course, Arif will be around for further conversations. Thank you all very much.